Torah Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Hag, and with me, as always, a Rob Van Hoff. The Hoff. What up, Hoff? Hey, loudmouth. How's it going, brother? Going well. I think we're not going to hit 100, 100 degrees today. <laughs> yeah. We're getting in the high 90s. I know. They, they were like, it's really cooling off here in uh, Tacoma. It's going to be down to 87 degrees. It's like, what? Anyway, hey, welcome everybody to the Rob and Caleb Show. What up and shalom to all our listeners. What up and shalom to everyone in the chat room. We're happy you're here. What do you think, everybody? Should we change the intro to, to the Rob and Caleb Show? I mean, it's been that way for like a year and a half now. Maybe it's time to switch it up. Hmm. Yeah, then that would be called classic. Yeah, that would that be would the classic. Be classic. And then occasionally we could, we could open with the classic intro. I got some, man, I got some great clips. I do. I yeah. I think I, I, I found, think some of those ratatouille clips need to be in our new. Yeah, I found. Well, we should introduce these to our listeners. But I found an, I found a new clip. I don't know if I should wait or not. Okay. Well, let's let's do this first. Um, you know, I'm I'm one who is wrong from time to time. What? <laughs> I'm wrong more than I like to admit. There's no doubt about that. And so uh, you, you are married, and so you the, do have yes. The, in that in that regard, I'm always wrong. Um, however. I, it has been brought to my attention not only by Andre. Andre uh, brought this to our attention, but actually first our good friend Ryan up in Canada. Uh, he brought this to our attention. Now, Ryan is actually a grad student. Is he a grad student? Yeah, grad student up at uh, Trinity Western. He's studying under Dr. Martin Abeg and Dr. Peter Flint uh, in Dead Sea Scroll Studies. After that, he plans on going uh, and getting his, uh, his PhD somewhere. Uh, he is no slouch at all. In fact, b- basically the, the majority of his studies is in uh, ancient Near Eastern language. So he's studied all sorts of different things. Now, last week uh, uh, we were talking about Chuck Missler and the Olive Tav. And so uh, I, hate to, I hate to do it, but uh, actually I shouldn't say that. I, I don't mind doing it. When I'm wrong, I, I like to let people know that I was wrong. And so this is a time for me to say I was wrong. And I say it readily. I, I was absolutely wrong about this. This is what Ryan writes into me. He says, Missler is obviously wrong about the et symbol, but tau is certainly a correct way to pronounce the name of the letter tav. This is both the ancient and academic pronunciation of tav. Though in modern Hebrew, the letter is v, or the letter vav is vocalized as a v. In Tiberian and in ancient Hebrew pronunciation, this letter was vocalized as a w. Thus, tav would have been pronounced as tau rather than as tav. Today, most people pronounce the name of this letter as tav because most people, including myself and many professors, follow modern Hebrew pronunciation. This is certainly a valid approach, but it must be recognized that Tiberian and ancient Hebrew pronunciation were both different. I should add that in Yemenite pronunciation, the v is uh, the vav is also pronounced as a wa. Now, last week I said that uh, that uh, Missler was mispronouncing his vav. 
Uh, no, I'm sorry. His, uh, yes, his Vav, Tav. And uh, I was incorrect on that, so I apologize for that. However, he uh, Missler was still mispronouncing, uh, mispronouncing his Hebrew. Uh, he put in what did he what did he use? He used Aleph. Well, the, I agree with Ryan's point. Yeah, whether uh, the letter Vav could be, you know, Va or a Wa. So that that's a good point that we need to make. But that's not my quibble with Missler. My my quibble is just there in other places where it's evident that Missler has learned Hebrew through reading English transliteration. It's like someone maybe looking at uh, a Strong's Concordance, for example, and looking at the, the way Hebrew words are transliterated into English, and then, and then they're imagining what that sounds like rather than actually hearing it first. And so when he says Aleph and Tau, it's yeah, not Aleph. the W that I have the problem with. It's the A. There is no A vowel. Uh, in Hebrew, like midrash, that's the one. You know, sometimes people say midrash. Um, that ah, like cat or apple. That that's the kind of one I thought was funny with Missler's pronunciation. The yeah. aleph in the town. Well, you know, um, it's just like anyway, uh, it, your opinion, <laughs> man. Um, so there's much more to talk about today. We have so many topics, so many things to get to. And if you've received our show notes, it's, uh, it's intense. But uh, first, we have to open the mailbag. And the reason we do is because we got a doozy this, this week. And so let's open up the Robin Caleb Show mailbag. Mail time. This from Mark9v7 on our YouTube page. Take a listen to this. It's a sad day in eternity when people who call themselves messianic can have an evil tongue against God's anointed. Let's stop right there for a second. Now, first of all, there. this is in response to us talking about Missler and how he is not only wrong about the Aleph Tav, which is... Uh, horribly egregious but also he's i mean the guy has taught about that the nephilim are aliens that we should be looking for uh alien invasion all sorts of stuff he's all over the place uh and i would say that a majority of what he teaches is just simply not true so to mark 9 v7 i will say this what do you mean by god's anointed i don't think of missler as a prophet I don't think of him as a judge, and he's certainly not the Messiah. Uh, So I would say that Missler is certainly not one of God's anointed. I'm not one of God's anointed. Rob's not one of God's anointed. What do you mean by God's anointed? They go on. Many of the people you come against and by believing they have received the same spirit of the living God... So who then do you suppose you are speaking against when you tell your audience your viewpoints at the expense of these uninvited guests you have taken portions of clips from in a format where they cannot respond, especially to those areas you have not done due diligence and research uh, to research. Now, first of all, I'm not sure what you mean by due diligence to research. Uh, We researched, I mean, Rob has spent years and years and years uh, studying the Hebrew language and whatnot. This guy doesn't, I think, or a guy or gal, um, doesn't really know that they're just wanting to defend. 
They probably like Chuck Missler. But it doesn't matter. You can't just say things. You can't just throw things out there. First of all, what do you mean by unresearched? We haven't done yeah. due diligence to research. Um, I spend quite a, a significant amount of we're time each to, week. We're supposed to correct. We're supposed to. If there's someone out there publishing books or, or going around and talking, or they have their own radio program and all this, that's this is. They have a voice. First yeah, of all, they, they can respond. He can. Chuck Missler can respond all he wants. Second of all, uh, you know, <laughs> are we not? To, are we? Are, should we not even have a radio program, Caleb? Because boy, everybody else already has. What they're already publishing books. They're already have a voice out there we, so we've said this you know before what? missler has put his stuff into a public format he's put it on the internet he's put it in book form all this kind of stuff and he had at least two different legal times he's he's admitted to plagiarism yeah one of the early 90s one of the late 90s where he said well well the remainder of the books will be corrected but all income from these books will be given to charity <laughs> or given to a ministry oh it's like beyond that beyond on. beyond that we have we you're going to plagiarize and then sell a book. I we, mean, it, and, and then you're but but I can't I can't call you out on something like the you're teaching about the Olive Tov, lest oh, I speak against God's anointed. Well, that, just, and beyond that, the other question is it, well, the other point is is that you and I have had people on this show before, and you know what ended up happening? We had to quit doing that for the most part. We might have special occasions when we'll have somebody on this show, but for the most part, we, we yeah, we get people emails. We, I want to be on your show, or how come? How tons, come not that could, oh. tons of people. Oh, I want to be on your show, and then not only that, but we had people saying, "Oh, well, let me come on and defend this this uh, this viewpoint." No, get your own show. Why do I want to bring somebody on each show that can just muddy just, muddy the waters of truth? It's like here, we'll just let you know if you want to be on our show. Just you know, everybody's entitled to come on. You know. <laughs> No. There is a chat room, which is being extremely silent right now, which is totally fine. But there's a chat room. If somebody has an opinion, they can come into the chat room and give their opinion. Let's go on with this. I'm having a hard time seeing Yeshua, not in regard, uh, not in your, your teachings, but in your biased behaviors and ill treatment of your uninvited guests. Sure, you have the right to do all the things you do since they put themselves out there. But in Messiah, that does not mean that you should. I encourage you to completely revamp the way in which you treat your uninvited guests. First of all, let me say this. Missler, Chuck Missler, is leading people down a path of falsehood. So we're not supposed to talk about that? We're not supposed to tell people? We're not supposed to warn people? What, let me ask you this. What about Paul in inspired scripture when he says the blacksmith? What, when did the blacksmith? He says, oh, the blacksmith did me much wrong. May the Lord repay him according to his, to his deeds, right? Yeah. So was Paul not supposed to do that? What about, what about Yeshua when he, calls, when he openly calls the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers? Was he not supposed to do that? Was he supposed to be more in the spirit? Was he, was he speaking against the spirit when he did that? Come on. They go on, be humble and know that uh, these people you are destroying, whether on purpose or unintentionally, have given their lives to study. No, they have not. Chuck no, Missler, not. he thing. is not. How come, how come, what about the injustice that Missler does to yeah. all the Hebrew scholars that came before him? Yeah. He didn't bother reading their, he didn't bother going learning from them. He didn't go, he didn't bother reading their books. Exactly. He, he, he has this apparent PhD from this Baptist college. You mean no one there? And we looked at the college website. Strict academic or strict 
academic standards. I'm like, oh, come on, people. You, yeah, did you see what one of the uh, – Adam uh, said to me that, that, uh, w- that you can pass one of their, cl- one of their uh, re- class, classes is life experience. So you just write in things that you've done and you get, you, you get credit for it. This is strict a- academic. Yeah. He puts himself out there as though he's got a real degree. He doesn't. Um, okay. Let's keep going. Um, so if you are coming against their ignorance in such a manner, then who do you suppose you are coming against? Isn't it one of God's anointed? No, it is not one of God's no, anointed. Not. I don't know what you mean by one of God's anointed. It's not, he's not a prophet. He's not a judge and he's not the Messiah. And if you mean anointed by the Holy Spirit, show me in one place in the scripture where it talks about being indwelled by the Holy Spirit as being anointed, anointed yeah, by the Spirit. That, if, if to the degree that Chuck is, is wise... If he happens to hear our criticism, he'll go, oh, he'll, he'll go, oh, I was wrong. We must he'll be, go around and tell people that he was wrong. We must be united in the spirit of Yeshua. Does that mean that we shouldn't speak out against people who are obviously leading people astray? If you desire to teach, then teach and encourage these uninvited guests to have the same wisdom you have been given. This show can serve a good purpose under heaven, but in its humor... It exalts your wisdom at the expense of the love of others, and that is a serious crime in the kingdom of God. Wait, love of others. Wait, hang on just a sec. Okay. In our humor, I don't think there's anything funny about Chuck Missler teaching. He should stop teaching because he's uneducated and he's leading people down a path of destruction. That's not funny. Not only is it not funny, he needs to quit teaching. And people should not be following him. How is that funny? This is not humor that we're putting someone down. He should not be listened to. He should not. He should not be followed. He should quit teaching. And he. And the, here's another thing. He should go back to school and learn Bible languages and start over. If, if, he, you, wants, if he, he wants to be a teacher, if you're saying that that his teaching is being led by the Holy Spirit, how does that work out? It's false. Right. That's there's the issue right there. If if Missler was teaching by divine, you know, inspiration, then why is it? Why is it false? Why is he misrepresenting? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and telling untruths. So anyway, we is that horse dead yet? It's dead. It's dead. Okay, man, I almost need a Caleb goes off clip. Anyway, okay. Caleb goes off. <laughs> okay. Let's hear it. Let's let's hear Hoff goes off. Do you have it? Which one? Half goes off. No, right, but I mean, man. which one? Yours? Of course. Okay. So let's talk about uh, our main topic for the day. Should we? T- should we play some new clips? We got some new clips. Uh, so here's some new clips. This one. Uh, uh, well, do you want to explain these? These are your clips. Let's do the rabbit. You know, I don't know. If we do, if we spend too much time on this, are we going to get to our main topic? Who knows? <laughs> okay, let's do. Let's do. Well, are we going to do the top ten thing? Yeah, of course. Okay. Okay. Let's let's start with that because actually, I'll introduce my clip when we get to uh, when we get to our top ten list. But let's start with this now. In our preparation, when we were talking about topic on the uh, on on Monday, Rob, I had suggested that maybe we talk about some of the uh, distractions that were going on in the first, second, third century 
sometime around in there. Has yeah. that has that come to fruition? Did you? Yeah. Well, I've got it. I've okay. some of the ideas. <laughs> so no. <laughs> play, okay. Here's play the clip now. So there's this movie Interstellar. I don't know if anybody's seen it. It's got this guy who it takes place in like a hundred years from now. Okay. When humans have kind of they're like gonna leave the planet or something. I don't remember to be honest. <laughs> I don't remember all the details. But I remember one part was. Because I think I fell asleep. So, <laughs> but <laughs> towards the beginning of the movie, the the dad. So you got a dad whose wife had died of cancer or something, and he's got his little girl has been in trouble at school. So he goes to visit the principals or whatever the two teachers there, and they're like, "Well, we're concerned about Jill or whatever her name is. I don't know, because she she wrote this paper." And they show him the paper, and he's like, "Oh, this." She used my history books, you know, to talk about the Apollo landing on the moon, or the moon landing, or whatever. And they're like, "Well, we're we don't use those textbooks anymore because we, the state, or you know, we've we've endorsed." Well, don't don't ruin the clip. Don't ruin the clip. Okay, so anyway, there's a conflict of what is which is history, what is true, and what is not. And then what are the ramifications for accepting something as true? Okay, so here, here's here's the clip, Interstellar. A great kid. She's really bright. But she's been having a little trouble lately. She brought this in to show the other students the section on the lunar landings. Yeah, it's one of my old textbooks. She always loved the pictures. It's an old federal textbook. We've replaced them with the corrected versions. Corrected? Explaining how the Apollo missions were fake to bankrupt the Soviet Union. You don't believe we went to the moon? I believe it was a brilliant piece of propaganda that the Soviets bankrupted themselves, pouring resources into rockets and other useless machines. Useless machines. And if we don't want a repeat of the excess and wastefulness of the 20th century, then we need to teach our kids about this planet, not tales of leaving it. Okay, so so how does this relate to us, Rob? This is, this is a picture of, in a, obviously a science fiction movie, of what has happened in the past. We have a, a whole, all this splintering that happens, uh, not all of it, much of it is because people adopt a different picture of history. So, for example, in the Second Temple period, some people promoted this book called uh, Jubilees, and we think the group at Qumran held it as a scripture because they cited a lot. And it told a picture of what ha- that. Uh, what happened at Mount Sinai, that Moses was given these other heavenly tablets at Mount Sinai, other than the Torah of Moses, that gave the true calendar and all this kind of stuff, so that it made this picture that Jews in the first century that did not accept the history according to Jubilees were, were, they didn't have the whole picture. So you had two different simultaneously, uh, you know, active communities uh, that saw themselves as Israel, but had alternative histories, like major alternative histories. And then we have the same thing in in the Mishnah, you know, or later rabbinic literature. They talk about well, the oral Torah was given at Mount Sinai. It was a, a there were two Torahs at Mount Sinai. One was written, the other was completely oral, and it was transmitted from generation to generation, faithfully all the way down to us, to we, the rabbis today, who have the sole authority to interpret. 
Okay, there you go. If you accept that history, then that puts you on a trajectory, puts you on a path where you're not going to be able to. Uh, Caleb, you're smiling. I'm not sure why you're smiling. Uh, sorry, I got I, it, no. What you're talking about is great. It's just I I got to play my new clip because I think it goes right here, right now. Okay, let me give you a couple example, more examples. Okay. Play it. Look at the rise of Islam. It's based on a, an alternative view of history, right? That it wasn't uh, Isaac, yeah, of Abraham, yeah. but it was Ishmael. Then you have even in our day, you have like the Mormons. They come in and they're peddling an alternative history. And as long, and then these histories become institutionalized, and and you go and and you, people take these stories as fact, and uh, we need to. So wait, hang on. Let me let me let, let me see if I'm understanding. So you have big ones like Islam. You have things like Mormonism, but these are these are splintering of, off of completely different religions. But within Judaism and within Christianity, you have specific. I don't know what else to say. Conspiracy theories, distractions, whatever that certainly happen within within these religious groups, right? I mean, for instance, the Book of Enoch as a whole. We know that the Book of Enoch was vastly popular, but I got an email last night, by the way, someone asking about the Book of Enoch and why, if you know, if since Enoch was a holy person, uh, shouldn't we take Enoch's writings as as uh, true, you know, as part of Scripture? Uh, Enoch was not written by, by the book of Enoch was not written by Enoch. It was what? Three different authors. Anyway, if uh, that, if, I mean, maybe probably even more. So, uh, I mean, anyway, the point, the point being, um, we, you know, even Jude says, he says, as Enoch prophesied, uh, you made the point last week that, uh, that wasn't necessarily from the actual book of Enoch that we have now. It might've been from something else, right? Well, probably or, or like just the, their version. Yeah, or a, or a, just that that phrase was had floated around in the air and people associated with Enoch. He didn't say it is written or anything like that. He just says, as Enoch says. I actually, well, I have a I I have an, uh, hypothesis about the Book of Jude. I'm trying to work it out. I actually might write about it for my thesis. So, anyway, um, okay, so. So what? Give me an example of of another good uh, distraction that was going on within the Jewish Christian world back in the day. Well, in the we do know that from from the apostolic writings, where like in um, in Timothy, First Timothy, he's telling Timothy. Okay, verse 3, uh, he says, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia to re- stay at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths, endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. So we know that that kind of thing was going on. And in, in Titus, it says, rebuke them sharply they may be, that they may be sound in the faith not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commandments of men who turn away from the truth. So right there, Paul's already dealing with people telling different types of stories. And in Colossians, he talks about people, you know, the worship of angels and these uh, traditions of men or commandments of men that distract from the truth. Um, 
you know, one of the other ones that we see, in, well, it's in Third Enoch, it's later, but the, the later rabbis have the, the idea of they travel to the heaven. They travel to heaven and they get revelation and uh, they see, like, this is a little bit later where Enoch is equated with, with um, Metatron. And they have all these interactions with heavenly beings. And so it creates a culture where people want to, they want to cultivate these uh, mystical visions or heavenly travels. Um, and it's, it's a distraction. Yeah, you have uh, Enoch, in the third Enoch, you have Enoch actually becoming Metatron, the angel Metatron. And then he's given the, uh, he's given the name yod heh essentially. Uh, that whole thing. And I honestly think that, that was a uh, uh, reply to Christianity. Sure, sure. And probably other groups. By that time, there were other groups too, uh, what we call Gnosticism, you know, groups that were radically dualist, like they saw the, the world is evil and they wanted to kind of escape the world. Um, and they were using stories from Genesis and... and uh, Jewish texts to argue for their perspective. So the rabbis probably had more than one. It wasn't just you know, believers in Yeshua that they were um, responding to. But in any case, they, they give an alternative uh, picture of history. And that's what we got to pay attention to. Are we buying into uh, a picture of history that is not accurate? Okay. Um, well, should I here, here's, here's my new clip. An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. <laughs> okay, I'll talk about that in a few seconds. Let's get to the distractions, the top ten distractions. Now, you know, Rob and I have put together the top ten distractions. We came up with uh, what we think are the top ten distractions in the Messianic movement today. Uh, and these are not in any specific order as of yet. What we're going to do is we're going to post these on the Facebook page. Uh, and then we would hope that you guys would actually put them in order according to what you think is the most distraction to the least distraction. distracting. So the most distracting being number one, the least distracting being number 10. So we'll put those on after the show uh, is over today. And we're going to go through each and every single one of these. Uh, so, of course, let's start. I wish we had something that counted to 10. We have something that counts to 7, but we don't have something that goes to 10. Do you have the 7 one, though? Yeah, of course I do. Let's hear that, and we'll just add... Then we'll just add a couple. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, number 10. Uh, or Yeah, number 1, whatever. These Once again, these are in no specific order. I actually can't wait to get to number 2 because this is going to be a topic in and of itself. So number 1 that I have on my list is Blood Moons. I think that we've, we've talked about pretty much every single one of these uh, in depth in different shows. Blood Moons, obviously, is not going to be a big issue after this coming, what, Sukkot? Because we're in the quote-unquote tetrad as as uh, is being preached by Mark Biltz and, and Heggie and all these guys. Uh, this is nothing, in our minds, this is nothing more than a distraction. I find it interesting that the, uh, that the national news media has actually picked up the name Blood Moons. 
Have you seen this? Like on CNN and whatnot, they'll say, oh, the blood moon is happening tonight. It's not a blood moon. It's a lunar eclipse. Um, I see no evidence uh, whatsoever that this is a supernatural event as I think Joel and Revelation clearly uh, make it out to be. Uh, that this is a, a, uh, a supernatural event and not something that happens on a common occurrence. Um, so let's hear, let's hear, I don't even remember some of these clips. Let me, let's, uh, play the clip that I have for the blood moons. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. On April 15th, 2014, on the biblical feast of Passover, the first of four blood moons appeared. And soon after, the Hamas terrorists began firing a barrage of rockets to kill Israeli citizens. Okay, wait, hang on just a second. (laughs) Oh, wait, sorry. Wait a bit. I mean, I'm not laughing at Hamas's attack at all. No, just the... It's the association of, like... I mean, it is... I I love it that anytime people have this, this kind of a uh, anytime people have this kind of a, a, a theory about anything like any uh, look at anything Jonathan Kahn does he'll be like oh yeah the Shemitah year which we'll talk about in a, in a little bit but he'll he'll be like oh yeah you know this happened in this date this date and this date and then he'll find anything within that year that happened that was bad and he'll say see this is because of the Shemitah year. Israel has been at war with Palestine since 1948. It's not. I mean, this is not. This is not anything new. And so, yeah, to, but wasn't there a blood moon man too? Uh, I'm sure there was. There's like a blood moon like once every three years. But the tetrad, as he says. Okay, let's keep going with this. Those are clip. the four O's. Yeah, the, the two O's, the two O's of blood and the two O's of moon, the full, or the tetrad of the full moons. Okay, here we go. Let's keep going with this clip. Bring a barrage of rockets to kill Israeli citizens, and the Israeli Gaza war broke out. What other end time events will there be when the next blood moon occurs Whoa! on October eighth, two thousand fourteen, on the Sukkoth, the feast? <laughs> the Sukkoth. Call now to get Mark Bilt's prophetic hey, book and powerful DVD, hey. The Blood Moons. And when you call, you will also receive this official biblical blood moon eclipse calendar, all yours Sukkoth. for a donation of forty nine dollars. Oh, they're donating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You send money. Yeah, we, we keep cutting the clip off. By the way, everyone, just so everyone knows, uh, we got to keep our our chat room up to date. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> so we changed our ding sound, the ding, to an ah sound. So anytime you hear the, anytime you hear this sound. <laughs> <laughs> that's instead of our ding sound. So that means that it went against one of the uh, seven hermeneutical laws of the Rob and Caleb show. Uh, so let's go back. Let's try to find his pronunciation of Sukhoff. Is that Sukkoth. what he is that what he called it? He said Sukhoff. And then send money the next now. blood moon occurs on October 8th, 2014, on the Sukkoth, the Feast Sukkoth. of Tabernacles. Yes. Call now to get Mark Bilt's prophetic book and powerful DVD. I love it that he calls it his prophetic book. How is this prophetic? I, I hate how people throw this word around. Prophetic. Blood moons. And when you call, you will also receive this official biblical blood moon eclipse calendar. Oh. Uh, that's another one of my favorite parts. You get this. Oh, I need the official calendar. The official calendar. And basically all it says is the only difference is that it says blood moon <laughs> when it's supposed to be happening. 
special biblical blood moon eclipse calendar. All yours for a donation of $49. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9243. Uh, wow. Um, so obviously, <clears throat> if you haven't figured it out yet, we think that this is quite a distraction. It's it's taking us away from... <clears throat> pardon me. It's taking us away from, from the things that really matter, which is Scripture and... Uh, and, you know, trying to spread the good news with people. You know, <clears throat> Mark is a good guy. You know, he really is. He lives in this town, in the town that I live in. Um, he's a nice guy. He's, uh, but, you know, he's, and no offense to our charismatic brothers and sisters out there. We got some really, really good charismatic brothers and sisters out there. But I would say, uh, you know, it's somewhat stereotypical of the charismatic movement to, to fall in line with the, uh, overemphasis of things that don't matter. I don't know how else to say it to, you know, like to get wrapped up in things like, you know, prophecy or, you know, all this kind of stuff in, in, and it's, it's a distraction. The blood moons thing is a distraction. And here's the other thing. Let's pretend for a few seconds that built is right. That this blood moon is going to hail in. I don't know, something great. The, the tribulation, Let's say that it's going to hail in the tribulation. So what? What is Mark Biltz talking about? What's his book, his Blood Moons uh, DVDs, you know, all of the interviews that we've seen, you know, what's CNN talking about a blood moon? What is all this going to do for us? Is it going to change the fact that it's going to happen if that's when the Lord has destined it to happen? No, of course not. It's still going to happen. Are people going to be ready for it? Are believers going to be ready for it? it, it because of, of Mark Biltz and his DVDs, Because you know, uh, if it happens on this coming lunar eclipse? No, they're not. It's, it's not going to change a thing. And that's what's frustrating is that it's just a distraction. Okay. Uh, let's go on to number two. This one I've been waiting for because this one, this is actually where we get our clip. Uh, the, the new clip that I brought. So, uh, the, the sacred name movement slash pronounce, uh, pronunciation of the name and pronunciation issues. This is a big one within uh, messianic circles. And obviously people are, uh, if you, if you aren't messianic, you don't know what we're talking about. Uh, okay. So, this has become a splitting issue amongst communities, right? Uh, you know, if you don't pronounce the name Yahweh, uh, then you're doing it wrong and I can't be with you. It, it, well, I don't pronounce it Yahweh. I pronounce it Yahweh. Oh, well, then you're going to hell. Uh, you know, these are the kind of things that uh, that are actually going on within Messianic circles. People are calling themselves believers and then getting hung up on on pronunciation of the name. Uh, Torah Resources put out a, uh, and that's one thing I forgot to mention at the beginning of this show. Uh, this show is brought to you by Torah Resource. Go find tons of, of resources on Torah Resource. And, uh, of course, our programmer is Gary Springer and our web guy is Mark Randall. Anyway, so the whole point is is that uh, uh, my father has done a teaching on the sacred name and how the, the actual pronunciation has been lost. There are no vowels put under the, the sacred name. We don't know what they are. Uh, so if somebody tells you they know the pronunciation of the sacred name, they're they're not being truthful, they or they or they're tricking themselves. But it gets to a point now. Some of these people, uh, it gets to a point where it's beyond just this is how I pronounce the name. Listen to this clip. 
That is why we teach you the Hebrew sacred names. There's more anointing in them, and there certainly is going to be anointing in them in the Great Tribulation because Yahweh, our Heavenly Father, won't hear your prayers in the Great Tribulation when you use the name Jesus because Antichrist is going to say, I'm Jesus. <laughs> you know, come to me. So this is from a, a girl. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so this is from a girl on YouTube. She is part of a mighty wind. Which not is a website, not the movie. Uh, I don't know if this ministry realizes that they took the name of a Christopher Guest movie. If you don't know who Christopher Guest was, perhaps you've seen The Princess Bride. He was the six-fingered man. He was also Nigel in the movie Spinal Tap. He is an excellent, and I mean excellent, musician. And he has written all of the music for Spinal Tap. Also, a movie, The Mighty a Mighty Wind. He, uh, he he was in the old Saturday Night Live clip with Billy Crystal. That I hate when that happens. That's right. That's right. And he also was the Bloodhound guy in Best in Show. Anyway, uh, A Mighty Wind is a movie in a series of movies uh, that he did. Spinal Tap being the first. So I think it's hilarious that they have named their uh, their ministry A Mighty Wind. And actually, if you go to their news site, it's not A Mighty Wind anymore. It's A Mighty Wind Aleph and Tav Prophetic End Times Ministry. Oh, my. Um, so they have a prophet, a prophetess. Her, I don't remember what her name is. Now, now I should say this. Um, Was that her speaking? No, this is one of her disciples, quote-unquote disciples. They have a prophecy index. Now, this is all these prophecies that this lady has received. And I'm going to read, this is on their page, A Mighty Wind, uh, The Sacred Names. You can find it in your show notes. And they say, uh, so they, they uh, list a couple of verses here. And then they say, over the last few years, we have received prophetic words that the Antichrist will use the name Jesus Christ in the Great Tribulation. Once the Antichrist is revealed and is using the name Jesus, Yahuwah will not he not hear any prayers said in the name of Jesus. How could he, when the Antichrist is using this name and deceiving billions? You must use the sacred names of Yahushua, which is not the uh, correct pronunciation of Yeshua, and Yahuwah, or Yahweh, in the Great Tribulation, or your prayers will not be heard. We are posting the excerpts from the prophecies that refer to the sacred names, and especially why you won't want to use the name of Jesus Christ in the Great Tribulation. And then they go to prophecies that that this that their prophet, their prophetess has uh, has made prophecy seventy seven and prophecy eighty three. Um, looking at this, there's several things about this site. First of all. This is their new site, and it is probably the worst put-together site I've ever seen. It looks like something that was made in 1999. Uh, it, it's just, it, it is seriously the ugliest site I've ever seen. It looks very much like they might have come out of the Seventh-day Adventists movement. Beyond all that, when you're a ministry who says that if you say the names, if you're not saying these names correctly, then God won't hear your prayers, you should probably learn how to say the names. It's obvious that any all of these people in this ministry have don't have a lick of Hebrew under their belt. Uh, so okay, Caleb, here we go. So yes, this is a distraction, but how many? How influential is this group? I mean, this okay. Hang on, there's tons of these people on YouTube. Okay? okay, they have a page on here called Enemy List, which, by the way, I very much hope I'm put on. 
because I want them. I want people to the know. Haters. Yeah, because I want people to know that I absolutely oppose this group. Um, I think that this is anti-Messiah. I think they are absolutely. I think it's blaspheming the Holy Spirit, honestly. And one of the reasons why is because they continue to. This lady continues to say that she's prophesying in the name of the, the Messiah. Uh, Behold, as Yahuwah send you forth. Uh, anyway, I think yeah. that uh, I think that this group is is you know a lot of people have called them a cult. That's definitely not far off. Uh, but. If you're going to tell people that they have to pronounce the name a certain way or they're not saying it right, you better get the names right. Yeshua is Joshua. God saves. Yeshua is salvation. When he says, call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people. Uh, so first of all, they got Yeshua's name wrong. And then they, they, then they uh, pulled two abstract pronunciations for the name of God and say that if you don't pray in these names... You're doing it wrong. Uh, so it's pretty obvious that you're not receiving. Uh, Just because they're not using the right names. Yeah, you're not you're not receiving prophecy from from the Lord because you don't even know the Lord's name. They don't even know. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so. We need to move on. If this is number two. Yeah, I know. But, but that, okay, but this, I'm sure we'll spend the most time on this one. First of all, a mighty wind. Yes, put them in the cult realm. If you are part of a mighty wind, uh, sorry, you're wrong. And please feel very free to put me on the enemies list. Uh, that would be, I, I would be happy to, to be found on that list. Um, and by the way, that's where this clip, so one of their main guys, okay, uh, he put out this teaching. That's where I got this clip. An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. <laughs> You're just using the Bible to do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think you just use the Bible to do whatever the hell you like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so chalk that up to uh, uh, heretical groups, by far heretical groups. Uh, zero training. Okay, that let's... shows you how how far that it seems like, oh, no, this is, we, we, this is it can lead to craziness. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right. So it's a distraction. Absolutely a distraction. Okay, number three, and the Aleph Tav. Look, somebody commented on... Caleb, that's not a... Uh, this is, oh, this man. Is everything. Yeah, I know. Somebody commented on our Aleph Tav. You know, we talked about the Aleph Tav last week. Somebody commented on one of our videos saying, oh, well... Uh, you know, I enjoyed your clip, but uh, you know, uh, my the, the teacher that I uh, that I sit under uh, for Shabbat, uh, you know, he's he's cataloged all these. He's he's written a book on this, and you know, he brings up some really interesting interpretations. So I went to it. I went to the site, and whose site is it? Bill Stafford's, of course. Now, let me first say, Bill Stafford is. A really nice guy. I've I've emailed Bill numerous times. We've talked back and forth. I honestly believe that he loves the Lord. He honestly believes that the Lord is has spoken to him and told him that you know revealed the Aleph Tav to him. So it's not like he's doing this out of a want to deceive people. However, he's wrong. That's all there is to it. And uh, you know, I have to say that it's not the Lord who has told him that this is true. It's just not. And 
I mean, I don't know what that means, but uh, this is just nonsense. Here's Bill talking about the Aleph Tav. When you see the Aleph Tav in a verse, it actually has several profound meanings that should come to mind. By the way, uh, Bill reads uh, in, inflection very, very oddly. Very dramatic. Well, very it's good. yeah. It, 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 I almost feel like he does what Christopher Walken does, which is take out all punctuation uh, out of his scripts, you know, and then just read. Uh, but if you, but kind of try to put that aside and just listen to the content because I, I, what he's saying is is uh, interesting at best. And all of them can be and should be applied. First and foremost, the first mindset you would want to apply is covenant, as in regard to the strength of the covenant, because this is actually what the two letters mean in Hebrew when joined together. By the way, we're hitting two. We're hitting number two and uh, number th- three and number four, which is Paleo Hebrew and the Aleph Tav. So Bill's actually touching on both of these: Paleo Hebrew and the Aleph Tav. Hebrew letter Aleph is the symbol of the ox head in Paleo Hebrew, and it has several meanings. And in but Greek, it's and in Phoenician, meaning. and in Edomite. <laughs> okay, hang on. Is strength the Tav? is two sticks crossed together in equal measurements. And the Tav also has several meanings, but its predominant meaning is the covenant in regard to equality of measurements. Go ahead, Rob. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so where does he get these meanings? Well, and that's, a, that's an excellent question because he says that there's different meanings to, you know, several different he's meanings. He's going to tell us there's many meanings, but oh, I'm going to tell you. Oh, but, but wait, Rob, it gets so much better. You're going to love the end of this. Okay. It's got 20 seconds left. Listen to this. Of two or more in agreement. So in looking at Genesis 1-1, it can actually be understood to say that in the beginning created Elohim by strength and covenant, the heavens. And by strength and covenant, the earth. Okay, so here, here's the here's the. He and Missler need to. Uh, there's pi- well, that's just it. Is that there's pictures on the website of of uh, of Stafford with Michael Rood and Monty Judah. Monty Judah, both of those guys are false prophets. So I'm not sure why Stafford would would want to associate with them in any way, shape, or form. This is the problem with not only Paleo Hebrew, with both the Aleph Tav and the Paleo Hebrew, is that now Stafford has been able to implant his own meaning, a different meaning, into the text that is simply not there. And you might say to you might say, "Oh, okay, well, yeah, he 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 put in a different meaning, but it's a good meaning, right? By strength and covenant, he created by strength and covenant." You can't change the word of God. It's the word of God. I don't care how you're changing it. I don't. I don't care. He's adding the prepositional phrase by means of. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's it. It is. Oh, I, I don't even. It, I don't it's know what the su- word for it. It's such an offense. It's a distraction. It, it's it's, it's a, nonsense, yeah. and it is. It's an offense. Yeah. Why? I mean, anyone who loves the scriptures, who loves the word of God, I don't care. You know, I could make a passage say, oh, Jesus Christ is, you know, is God and king. Well, that might be true, 
But you can't change the scriptures to say things. And what it does is it opens the door to be able to change the scriptures in other places for things that aren't great. Does that mean ever I go to any place where it's the et is there and I'll say, by strength and by covenant, God did, you know, or whoever did well, whatever. Well, what about whenever you? Whenever they use the et, it must mean strength and covenant. Well, and, and uh, yeah. what about that passage that you brought up the, uh, the last week? Oh, <laughs> That's the et a share, like in. in uh, yeah, but it's like when. when uh, re, uh, do you have that passage handy? I can find it. Yeah. So, well, the the. Uh, <laughs> it's when Noah. The one passage is from the, uh, Zechariah twelve, where it says he will look upon him, the olive top whom he has pierced. Well, if I use that same hermeneutic, it's it's Genesis nine twenty four. Noah woke up from his drunkenness, <clears throat> and he knew the olive top. By strength and by covenant. Put by strength yeah, and by covenant. Or, or, yeah, by strength and by covenant, <laughs> what his youngest son had did to, done to him. What? It's just... Yeah, it doesn't yeah. work. No, no, it it's doesn't. A, it, you know, and, and that's... An, uh, to me, it's, it's so egregious that people would stand by and let someone tamper with the Scriptures. I don't care if it's tampering with the Scriptures to try to make them better. You can't make the they Scriptures need, better. They don't need... They don't need our help. Exactly. They don't, they don't, we need to learn sound exegesis. And that is a full-time job, right? I mean, we, we, that's what we need. We need sound biblical exegesis. We need to build on the rock. And all these people are getting into these weird myths and speculations and the, the idea of letters having power and significant meaning in and of themselves. It is nonsense. It's a distraction from the truth. Exactly. Let's go to number four. Number four on our list of uh, distractions within the Messianic movement is second return predictions. Okay. Now, interestingly, uh, the group new to Torah, which is actually a guy named Zach. He's he's great. I actually really like that guy, and uh, he's you know he's a wonderful believer. I've chatted with him before. He's good friends with uh, people in the chat room. I know he knows Steve. Um, and so I'm not putting him down. In fact, what he did was he posted a, uh, a, a PDF on his, on his Facebook page. And he basically said, I don't, I'm not saying I believe this. I'm putting this up here for discussion. This PDF, I, I only read like seven pages in so far. It's like 30 pages long. And the whole thing is just absolute nonsense. It really is. On page four, the person says, some would say, how could, you, how could the time of judgment be cut short when it was prophesied to be for a certain amount of time? Yes, that's exactly what I'm wondering. And of course, uh, then the person who wrote this goes through great lengths to try to take numbers here, a word and a phrase here in this book and then go to a different book and find a word and a phrase here and then go to a different book and I find... I like how they had the the menorah too and then each of the seven things in the menorah had a significant... And it's just arbitrary. All these arbitrary connections, there's no sound method. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, the whole PDF, uh, the whole thing is just... And it's all full of speculation. It's all speculation. And not only that, but didn't our Lord say that uh, no one knows the time or the hour? Didn't he say that the, that the that he would return like a thief in the night? So, I mean, I don't understand why people are trying to figure this out. So no one knows the time or the hour, but I've put it in, in the scriptures, uh, you know, so you can figure it out. 
or uh, you know he's going to come with, like a thief in the night. But if you read the mystical hidden meaning in the in the text, you'll know when he's coming. And the, I, I'm not putting Zach down, but the, you know it, the PDF that that was posted. And then you got guys like Monty Judah. You got guys like 119 Ministries. You got guys like uh, you know Michael Rude. And what they're doing is they're all trying to make these predictions or try to show how from Scripture uh, you can you can know when the Messiah is coming back. This is a distraction. It's all just a distraction. It, you know, it's it, it, it's not edifying to the body. In fact, I think it tears down the, the body. Okay, let's keep going. Um, mystical hermeneutics is next on the list. Um, and so let's play... Listen to this. This from 119 Ministries. Within the parameters of proper biblical hermeneutics, there are four levels of understanding one can implement to glean from the Torah. Yeshua and his disciples demonstrated all four levels of exegesis interpretation throughout the Brit Hadashah. We must be careful to operate within these parameters. These levels of interpretation are not expressly mentioned directly, but in realized as consistent patterns in the writings, prophets, and Brit Hadashah. The first is Peshat. Okay, so he's talking about parties. Yeah, uh, we're not going to listen to the whole thing, are we? No, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> about that. <laughs> Go for it, Rob. <laughs> up goes up. No, this guy. Yeah, don't listen to this guy. I don't know who he is. I don't know if this is the same Jim guy that I've emailed. That, that's he John. Never, John from uh, 119. Yeah, he... he I asked him many times who did their trans, their Hebrew translation of the Copper Scroll, and he he kept telling me, "Be patient." Well, he never replied. He's never, um, yeah. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about, and that's just. We've had people on the you know when I when I posted this about one nineteen ministries and uh, and Pardes and how they, you know this is a horrible hermeneutic. So many people within the Messianic movement that are on, that are friends with me on Facebook were like, "What are you talking about?" How's parties? Yeah, people, people have drunk that down, and they they think it's they've adopted it. That's that whole thing. It's like, what are you talking about? You, we never were at the moon, you know. I mean, they've d- adopted a different uh, stance. They have a different map of the world. Parties, parties, parties does not come. It's not sound biblical hermeneutics, like this guy just said. It's not from the first century. It was created super late by the rabbis. Yeah. yeah. And why? Why was it created by the rabbis? You know, Akiva was really good at, at, at doing this. He would say, oh, well, there's a mystical meaning behind this word. And it's not just this word. There's a mystical meaning behind every single letter. Akiva was able to twist the Bible to say whatever he wanted. He could make any passage say exactly what he wanted. You say, oh, it, it, it says this. That's not really what it means. If you want to get to the true mystical meaning of it, then you jump through all these hoops and boom, this is what it can mean. So we'll apply it to something that, you know, and I'm sorry, that's just not the way, that's just not good. But yeah, oh man, it's so frustrating because people within the Messianic movement don't realize that Pardes essentially was uh, the uh, was a response to the rabbis so that they could make the, the Torah say whatever they wanted. Right. And, and, and that, Well, here's another bit too. The, they take Peshat here to mean it's just the plain meaning. No, that's not what Peshat. The people who use Pardes in the Middle Ages, Peshat means what the Halakha tells you it is. So this came up at the conference, and I had to point out the Peshat of, for the rabbis of do not 
boil a kid in its mother's milk is don't mix meat and milk. That's what the Peshat, that's it's what the rabbis tell you it means. That's what the basic meaning is. It's not something you read and to, uh, discern on your own. That, that's the other thing I want to talk about. This guy calls the Brit Hadasha. New Covenant, yeah. Yeah, that's not a the New Covenant is not the New Testament. Books. It's yeah. not a library. It's not it's not a bunch of books. And that he says, you know, the Torah, the prophets, and the Brit Hadasha. And I know that's a something we need to always help people to understand that the Brit Hadasha is a Barit. It's a covenant. In the Tanakh. It's a, uh, it's hey, a covenant discussed inside the Tanakh, and the writings of the apostles reflect the part of the earliest uh, Yeshua discipleship group that are new covenant uh, uh, messengers, I guess you could call it. Paul says we are, we are ministers of the, of the Brit Hadashah, or messengers of it. I'm being corrected in the chat room. Gary says, uh, there are some limits to what you just said about thief in the night, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that uh, the day would overtake you like a thief, First uh, Thessalonians 5.4. I'm not suggesting anyone knows the day or hour, but the day should not take us as a thief. Okay, yes, I understand what you're saying. Uh, Paul further said, uh, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Okay, I, I completely agree. I'm not saying, uh, and thank you for the correction. Uh, but what I'm saying is, is that the Torah does not, the the Bible does not say to us, uh, try to figure out when the Messiah is coming back. Right? Yeah. Well, I see the same thing here, though. This 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 guy we just listened to about Pardes, the Aleph Tov guy, the the person, the gal who's the prophetess, speaking the the different names and stuff. Those people, in my view. This is my opinion. Those people are not sober. Those people are drunk in distracting false doctrines, and they're promoting those things. And that's that's a drunkenness that is not good. Then you they they're the ones that need to sober up. The blood moon people. They, they that's not. I think that they're they're wrapped in the wrong view of the world and of scripture. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, that's, let's 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 keep going here. We're never going to get through all this. Uh, next on the list of the ten top ten distractions in the messianic world today, the lunar Sabbath. What number is this now? Uh, I'm at number seven. Oh wow! Okay, number seven. There's a new revelation to most in both the Old and New Testaments. The weekly Sabbaths always fell on the eighth, fifteenth, twenty-second, and twenty-ninth uh, days of the month. Uh, yeah, he's totally wrong on that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not from sure. From Qumran alone, see this guy he doesn't know. From Qumran alone, they have calendars that say what days of the months that the the Sabbath is on, and it, it can happen on any day. Of it. They're all over the place. It's not uh, like see, this but, guy says. but that's just it. From this is the very beginning of a three part lecture, and from the very beginning, his argument falls short. Whether given the actual date or just enough information to determine this date, this holds true. Now, what does this mean, if anything, and how have we missed this for all these years? It's a good question. How is it possible for the Sabbath to always fall on the 8th, 15th, 22nd, and 29th days of the month? This is something 
Well, let me go ahead and finish the slide here because this is not possible with the Gregorian calendar. And this is a question that every Sabbath keeper has to answer, needs to answer, must answer if they're going to be honest with themselves. Because the evidence is in Scripture. Okay, yeah, so the evidence is in Scripture. First of all, not only is this a distraction, this is a huge distraction. It is. But not only is it a distraction, but there's two other elements that go along with this. Most of the time, most of the time, and and I should say, at least every time that I've seen it, okay, uh, people who believe in Lunar Sabbath, it's just the beginning of the issues. The issues run far deeper. Deity, the Messiah issues, canonicity of scripture issues, all sorts of stuff. This is just a, it's, it's like a, it's like a symptom of a deeper issue. Okay. Number one. Number two, it's not just a distraction because what people who promote Lunar Sabbath are actually doing are telling people to not celebrate the, the actual Sabbath. They're taking people who would normally be re, uh, uh, good Sabbath keepers and they are making them, they are leading them to sin by not keeping the actual Sabbath. Yeah, one of the strangest doctrines is this, uh, the doctrine of collective amnesia, where they're like, they think that, oh, yeah, so everybody in the first century, you know, Pharisees and Shua, they kept the lunar Sabbath, but then somewhere there was a collective amnesia, and everybody forgot, and everybody started doing it wrong, and only now is the new revelation coming out. Crazy. Crazy. Um, Okay, let's keep going. That was number seven. Now number seven. And, uh, you know, number eight, mystery of the Shemitah year. I could have just put anything Jonathan, Jonathan Kahn. I could have just put Jonathan Kahn is a distraction to the Messianic movement. He is. What he writes, I've said it here many times. I'll say it again. Does he go by, does he call himself a rabbi? Oh, yeah. Do we know where he, now, I'm not, you know, I, I think that. Disciples of Yeshua aren't to be called rabbi. That's my opinion, my understanding of Matthew 23. But in that aside, agree. do we know where he studied? Like, was there an institution that granted that to him? Do, you, do we know? I, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm sure somebody in the chat room will look it up for us. Um, you know, I've said it once, I'll say it again. The whole idea of, of the Shemitah year and or the uh, curses of, of a covenant coming upon America, whether people want to admit it or not, is a form of replacement theology wrapped up in a Messianic Jewish bow. That's all there is to it. Um, now, I'm not questioning Khan's, uh, you know, faith. When I watch Khan, he's got a lot of conviction. I think he actually buys into the nonsense that he spouts. You know, but if people call him Prophet Khan, he's been introduced as Prophet Khan before. Really? Yeah. And if somebody ever did that with me, I'd be like, whoa, 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 stop. Do not call me that. And he doesn't. He's, you know, it's like, well, if, you know, it's like people calling you rabbi. Yeah, I know we got a lot of listeners out there that call themselves rabbi. Uh, I, I I just do not understand that. I don't get it. Um, anyway, so let's listen to something by Khan. Let's listen to what Khan has to say. The Shemitah is an ancient 
mystery goes back over 3,000... That's the other problem with Khan. He doesn't know what the word mystery means. The Shemitah is an ancient mystery. goes back over 3,000 years to Moses, Mount Sinai. Yet it is affecting everything from 9-11 to the rise and fall of the economy, to the crashing of the stock market, to the rise and fall of nations, everything from World War I, World War II, what is happening right now, and what will happen. It is the most precise, mind-boggling, biblical mystery, and it's coming true now. Uh, this from it's coming true. This from the wiki page, uh, Credentials, the New Jersey Jewish Standard, in a piece that mentioned Khan, said he, quote, claims to have orthodox smicha from a rabbi who had joined the Messianic movement. That's all it says. The question is, does the Shemitah have Shemicha? Have Semicha? Semicha, yeah. <laughs> um, so the idea that, uh, that the Shemitah, I, I mean, this is just one aspect of Khan's horrible scholarship and mishandling of the word. Um, but the idea that the Shemitah somehow would apply to America and therefore is the reason why we had 9-11 and all these other things is because God is judging us for not keeping America to the Shemitah, which was supposed to be for the land of Israel, uh, basically implants the idea that America is the promised land. That's called replacement theology. Here, here's, the, here's another problem. What the, he's taking the, the Shemitah out of the context. You... You can't have a Shemitah without crops in the land being properly tied to an operating priesthood. Preach it, brother. And, and you can't, and it has to be every year. You can't have a proper Shemitah unless each individual year you've had the proper tithing and then the proper uh, celebrations of the feasts. If you haven't, if, if the nation hasn't even been keeping the Sabbaths, the Shemitah is a non-issue. So the, the Jubilee is a non-issue. If you don't, it, it's all these things are inextricably intertwined. And to take this one thing out and say, oh, it's the mystery. This is the mystery. So the prophecy says, a prophecy that misread could have been okay let's move on uh number nine on the list and once again these are in no specific order i gotta keep saying that number nine um is aramaic primacy now there are so many people in the messianic movement who hold to this i know there's so many people in the messianic movement that hold to this it's uh it's unbelievable i'm sure we got people in the chat room right now that hold the aramaic primacy it is a distraction the reason why is because you can't look at any text and say oh this is the original the earliest text you have of aramaic is like seventh eighth century so the 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 greek that we have even if you hold the aramaic primacy the greek that we have is like 600 years earlier than your aramaic well, it, it depends on where you start measuring. Okay, we but we have Jewish Greek. We have we have Jewish Greek back into you know the, the third century BC, and we know that all manner of Jewish Greek writings from that time up through the times that the Gospels were written, 
And there were Aramaic-speaking communities, both Jewish and non-Jewish Aramaic-speaking communities. But the Syriac of the Peshitta, what we call the, the Peshitta, is... Uh, now, there's a Peshitta, what they call Old Testament, and a Peshitta New Testament. The Peshitta New Testament, as it's called, is, uh, is a Christian translation. There are people that didn't... They, they, they were not Jewish, because there there's things they miss out uh, that are clearly in the Jewish Greek of the apostolic writings. And I've got an article if anybody wants to read that. On the, Hang on. We, we got some discussion going on in the chat room. Look, man, our, our guys are going to work here. Quote, uh, Khan says, quote, In its first and original context, the Shemitah is connected to Israel. It is the only nation commanded to observe it. And as we have seen, it is still kept in varying degrees by the observance of that nation. No. But we are not dealing with the Shemitah as an observance, but as a prophetic sign, particularly as a warning or manifestation of national judgment. What? Anyway, and then uh, Andre writes back and says, why is a prophetic sign if America is not required to observe it? Why is it a prophetic sign? Yeah, uh, the idea, this is absolutely nonsense. It's just, it's absolute nonsense. He's twisting the scriptures. And, and by the way, I would say why that... Would there be, why would there be more of a judgment of, concerning Shemitah than breaking the Shabbat? Yeah. Why would, why would we pick the Shemitah if we're going to talk about judge, national judgment? Because it sells books. And not about something like just as simple as Shabbat. Uh, it, yeah, it's... It, it, you know what's funny is that actually the Shabbat is called a sign forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, I, one, let's go back to Aramaic primacy. Uh, back to Aramaic primacy. Once again, this is a way that people, whether they are meaning to or not, twist twist the scriptures. And the way that they do this is they say, oh, this this is hard to understand. Or this is hard to, you know, I don't think this fits with other scripture when they're looking at the apostolic scriptures. So what do they do? They say, oh, well then the Greek is wrong. It, let's look at the Aramaic. So then they go to the Aramaic, which is much later. They look at the Aramaic and they say, hmm, okay, this word here, it, it actually has like four different meanings. And if I take the fourth meaning down the row uh, and I implant it, well, then I can make it say something different. And that's exactly what's happening is that people are now, you know, making the scripture, you know, you're con trying to conform the scripture to uh, meet your theology instead of dealing with the hard to, to wrestle with uh, passages. It doesn't work like that, folks. Let's listen to something that uh, Andrew Gabriel Roth has said about the Aramaic primacy. And Okay. Well, basically what had happened was I grew up, um, you know, with, I'm from a Jewish background, and what had happened was when I eventually became what does that mean? Yeshua in the mid 19. Oh, hang on, just a sec. He's gonna he's gonna explain now. Now, look, I appreciate uh, a Andrew's uh, you know testimony here. Uh, that's not what I'm getting down on. I'm 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 happy that he came to the Lord, but listen to listen to what he says, and this is gonna prove the point that I just made. And was when I eventually became a believer in Yeshua in the mid 1980s while I was in college, and that's a whole long story. Um, I soon found that there were problems in the Greek text of the New Testament that caused me to almost lose my faith in Messiah. And oh, like, long story oh, that's right. Short, that could happen for him. 
Well, and that's the point is that, you know, he, okay, so let's break this down. What he just said is he's, he's looking at the scriptures and he's saying, this doesn't add up. A lot of these passages don't add up. And he's, he, his faith is starting to waver now because he's saying, no, these scriptures aren't adding up. Okay. And long story short was that through a, through a very lengthy and detailed process, I found that the Aramaic text had survived, that it was at least as ancient as the Greek. And for me, what the Aramaic did was it put the sayings of Yeshua, the Gospels, the writings of Paul, the writings of the other apostles like John and so on, in, back into its original Hebraic uh, context. And so basically, and if you read uh, Van Hoff's uh, paper on the AENT, you can see that basically Roth has taken interpretations that he likes. He's basically twisted the text. And clearly, it's not a val- A lot of what he is doing is not valid interpretations according to the, to the Greek or the Aramaic, for that matter. But Roth has basically made it so that the, the Aramaic fits so that he can, you know, so that his faith doesn't waver. Instead of, ha- of instead of doing the work of trying to make the texts actually work with each other. Yeah, well, his whole book, he gets into Kabbalah and all sorts of stuff. That's why I said he uses the Peshitta New Testament as a, a what do they call it, a dummy for his ventriloquism. In other words, he's like puppeting, forcing his Kabbalistic readings through the Peshitta. And then he's, but his translations, A, sometimes are absolutely horrible. B, are plagiarized from uh, the Murdoch translation. I mean, I, I, there, we have one of the blog pages up there that have some examples where it's, he just changed, like, everything's the same, but he'll change the word from, like, church to assembly or something. Like, but the rest, oh, it's, I don't understand. I don't get it. So I think that the Aramaic primacy is certainly a distraction. And not only that, but it's taking people away from the original, the original uh, language of the Bible. It, it, it's really putting a focus on something that should not be focused on at all. Okay, final. I don't have a drum roll. Um, I have a comedy drum, but that, that's not the same. Um, the final uh, uh, distraction on our list... Once again, not in any order of the top ten distractions for Messianic Jewish or the Messianic uh, world today is, of course, the two house movement. Let's listen to this clip. So we see the ten tribes of the northern house of Israel, or Ephraim. They're going to be taken into what's called the Assyrian dispersion. It's also called the Assyrian the diaspora. Sometimes we hear the term diaspora. It's also called the Assyrian captivity. And what we'll see proof of is that these are what we think of as the Christians of today. Or more accurately, what we'll see is that the lost ten tribes of Israel, or the house of Israel, or the house of Ephraim, is hidden inside of Christendom today. And we're told to come out of her, my people. So we'll see later on, in in other studies, we talk about how the church is Mystery Babylon. And we need to come out of the church. We need to come out of her, my people. Okay, what what I see uh, the two house movement as essentially is uh, a it's a reworked form of of replacement theology. They don't say that they're replacing the Jews because the Jews are just the two southern tribes 
uh, and uh, basically the church is the rest of, of Israel. But there, there are the rabbis in Israel, like we saw. Who was the uh, Avraham Greenbaum or whatever? Yeah. He's the Hasidic Breslaver uh, uh, Jew who's not a believer in Yeshua, but he teaches that that Ephraim is he's he uses the same thing. So here's a uh, a Jew who's observant of all manner of pious Jewish tradition, um, mystical tradition, etc. But there's a connection because that those are the same people that are doing uh, gematria or gematria and uh, powers of the letters and things like that. And they get into these same kinds of interpretations that Ephraim is people coming from Christianity. Well, look, the point is, is that... <laughs> Uh, the ten tribes were never lost like that. They're they're not lost tribes. Like, oh, where did they go? We misplaced them. That's not what it means when we say Caleb, lost tribes. Yeshua said, "I came for the lost tribes of Israel." <sighs> okay, uh, or lost sheep. But doesn't that mean lost sheep? I mean, seriously, it's not like God misplaced ten tribes of Israel somewhere on the earth, and He's looking for them somewhere. That's not what happened. When the when the ex when the exiles uh, ended and the Jews came back to Israel, what had happened was they forgot what tribe they were from. That's how they're lost. It's not like people f- forgot that they were Jewish and then went out into the world and oh yeah well, now we're now we're Greeks and we don't know that we're Jewish anymore. That's not what happened. What happened is that people forgot what tribe they were from, not that they were Jewish. This is this is a form of replacement theology in my mind. Uh, now, uh, people are going to say that Rob and I are supersessionists because we're one Torah. I don't believe I, that. I, I, they could say we're super. <laughs> I don't believe that. Uh, and that, if we were musicians that played sessions, we would be super sessions sessionists. Oh man, uh, your jokes are getting bad. I'm sorry. I'm trying to lighten it up here. <laughs> I just this this the, we're we've made it through ten of these. Yes. I just, I guess I'm, my brain's saying I need to shift to something else. Okay, I bet I, I, I got to make the last point that we're okay, not right. that we're not supersessionists. We're not replacement theologians. We believe that Gentiles continue to remain to be Gentiles, but they are grafted into Israel, and we believe in enlargement theology. And no Gentile can ever become a Jew. They can become part of Israel. But they cannot become a Jew. Okay, that's it. So, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, did they eat swine? No, of course not. What? It wasn't given yet. Yes, it was. Noah's told to take uh, seven of the clean animals. How did he know what animals were clean? Gosh. (laughs) Well... Read your Bible is interpreted by experts. <laughs> Man, I love some of your clips. We really do. We're, we're expanding our clips here. Uh, yeah, I still love this one. An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course, of course it is. is. <laughs> okay. Anyway, those are the 10. Those are the 10 on the top 10 distractions for the Messianic movement today. We're going to post these on our Facebook page. When we do, feel free to list them in the order you think is the most distracting to the least distracting. Ten being the least distracting, 
one being the most distracting within the messianic realm So how are we going to do that? Derek? We're going to put the list and then they post the order? Yeah, I guess so. It's that, not easy to it's not easy to to decide. I I, I think it's pretty impossible. But you know, let, let's see what uh, maybe it should be like a it's like a circle. Let's You're not like, yeah okay, hey you can make graphics you can do whatever you want. Uh, you know our let's not underestimate our listeners. We got some really smart ones. You know what I think is did I already mention this last week? You know what I think is hilarious. So on the notes that we send out, you know you can have the show notes sent to you via email each week. There is 37 people on that list, and I'm subscribed. So really, there's 36. So literally, the 36. So literally, we have 30. I think we should stop. I think we should just close the. <laughs> you can't the sign list. up for them anymore. <laughs> nice. All right, you hey. Wait, you have to wait till someone drops off. Oh man, are you done? Or are we done? Or you want to um, say anything else before we go? Let's play my Ratatouille clips. Okay. Oh yes. Okay. Let's play the rest. Just for fun. We, I, I, I'm feeling like I need to go take a shower. Do you, do you need to? Re, do you need to explain any of these? Oh no. It's about so food. God's word is like food. God's right? word is like food. Okay. Here we go. Just Isaiah 55. You know. What are you eating? I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, that's the messianic movement for sure. Here we go. Here's the other one. Brought you something to. Ah! You... Hang on. Hang on. Sorry. Let's try it again. Brought you something to ah! No, 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 no! Spit that out right now! <sighs> I have got to teach you about food. <laughs> nice. All right, we'll put those into the rotation. Um, hey, so yeah, you can please send us emails. Seahagatorresource.com uh, or vanhoffatorresource.com. Uh, give us show topics. Give us. Uh, you can send us audio clips too like that we use throughout the show um, yeah so if you find a good movie clip or something that you think is funny that needs to be uh, needs to be in our clip rotation by all means and don't forget to go to our Facebook page and put these top 10 distractions into order uh, we're trying real hard to uh, expose what we think is wrong we're not trying to pick on specific people but if people are leading other people down a path to destruction I don't know what else we're supposed to do except for speak against it. Because really what Rob and I are trying to do in uh, this show and in our ministry is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>